It's so good to be able to um, be together uh, this morning, but especially this season. Uh, this is a season that is very special in the life of the church, uh, but a season in which we are reminded that God, Almighty God of the universe, came down to this earth in the form of a baby. Um, it's, it's Advent, as you see there, and as we've talked about uh, previously, we talked about previously that Advent means coming or arrival. So um, Advent in the life of the church is a four-week period of time before Christmas in which we get ready for the arrival. It happened 2,000 years ago, but even now we get ready for it all over again. And so it's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. Um, it's also a time of preparation and reflection. We look not only to the king who has come, but we look also at ourselves. We reflect on our own lives. And we might pray as David did in the Psalms, Lord, see if there's any way in me that might be offensive to you. Search me, O Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. So celebration, joy, reflection, preparation, that is what Advent is all about as we prepare for the arrival of the Lord. And in preparation for us to keep going, I'm just going to commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Lord God, we do celebrate you this morning. We worship you this morning. We acknowledge your greatness, God, this morning, and we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is at work in this place right now, that you, the God who speaks powerfully, and most powerfully through the coming of the Word, Jesus Christ, we pray that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the slides are doing this weird thing. Um, yeah, when I hit in this, it's going to something different. Is that? Okay, all right, we're good to go. So um, we're talking about the arrival, the coming of Jesus at Advent, and I just wanted to go off or, or begin with a thought about the major players. We're familiar with this story probably. Many of us have heard it so many times. Um, but the major players who have significant roles to play in this story. We have Mary, of course. We know Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you were here last week, we talked about Mary. Mary is married to Joseph. We know about him. Mary's cousin is Elizabeth, and her husband is Zechariah. So two weeks ago, we talked about that here at church. We talked about Zechariah. Those two, Elizabeth and Zechariah, become parents of John the Baptist, yeah, John the Baptist, who comes before Jesus, kind of paving the way for him. We have the innkeeper, and what did the innkeeper say? Just like whatever comes here. What did the innkeeper say? No room, sorry. Uh, we don't have any room for you in the inn. And then, of course, uh, Matthew talks about the wise men. 
Remember the wise men. Those are people who have come from far away, a distant land, to bring gifts to Jesus. But then, in complete contrast to the wise men, the wise men are learned, they're educated, they're sophisticated. There's another group of people that have a very key role to play, and those are the shepherds. The shepherds who we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be taking a closer look at the story as it's told in Luke chapter 2, but instead of reading it, we're going to be watching it. So let's go ahead and play that. What a great section of the story. An amazing story to see and to hear once again. Uh, We're going to be looking at this portion of Scripture. And so this was actually Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And as we look at that, there's these three words that I'd like you to keep in mind. They all start with the word over. Overlooked, overwhelming, and overflowing. Three words to keep in mind. I'll explain what they mean in a moment. But first, just a little bit of a background. So before this started, so we have Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20. Before that, we have Joseph and Mary. They're living up in Nazareth. Nazareth is in the north of Israel, and they travel down from the north to the south to a town called Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is where Jesus was born. There's no place for them in the inn, and so they put him in a manger. He's born in a stable there in the town of Bethlehem, and so that's what happens, and then the story switches over to what we just saw, to the narrative about the shepherds. They're in their fields at night, and they're visited by the angels. First off, I want to look at the shepherds, and I've called them the overlooked shepherds, and I'll explain why in a moment. We don't know their names. Who are these, who are these people? No names. We also don't know how many of them there were, but that's not what's most important. The key point is what we do know, and that is that these people were sheep herders. Raise your hand if you've herded sheep. Any, any sheep herders in the crowd today? Are there shepherds in Hong Kong these days? Does, you met one? Okay, so there are. I was wondering. I'm like, I don't know if they were shepherds. Now, shepherds at that time took their place on the lower end of the social spectrum. Shepherding was a tough job. It was a demanding job. It was a dirty job. It wasn't a job for the rich. It wasn't a job for the well-educated, for the powerful in society. It was a low-class job. That was shepherding. Now, We don't have shepherding, really, in Hong Kong today, but you can think of a job like that. It doesn't take too long to think about that kind of job. The job that is is happening here in Hong Kong that is on the lower end of the social spectrum. The rich don't do it. The well-educated don't do it. Nobody as a kid dreams when they're young of doing that kind of job when they grow up. Every city, every country, every place has jobs like this. Tough jobs, 
demanding jobs. The shepherds did this job. They were considered low class. These people occupied the margins of society. They were people who were easy to take for granted. They were people who tended to be overlooked. The overlooked shepherds. So again, think about our situation here in Hong Kong today. Think about the kinds of jobs that might be similar to shepherding. The kinds of people who might do those jobs. It's not glamorous, doesn't pay well unappealing, insignificant jobs, we often think. Again, done by people who we often take for granted, people who are easily overlooked in society. That's what being a shepherd is. That's a shepherd. And that's then what makes it all the more remarkable that at this greatest event, you might say this is the greatest event in the history of the world, if you can just begin to grasp what is happening here, God, the God of the universe, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe comes to this earth, takes on human flesh, comes as a baby. In this great event in human history, the shepherds, the overlooked are not overlooked by God. The shepherds are actually given a central role in the narrative, in the story. They get a part to play. And it's a really, really important one. I don't know if you've ever done this. Sometimes I play the game, if I were God, what would I do? Anybody? Chris, I know you've played that before. I mean, um, you know, sometimes I think, well, what would I have done? How would I have done this if I could have? And we're all glad I'm not God. But I think about something like this. If you want to make an announcement, the biggest event in the history of the world, and you want to announce it in a way that it goes out to the world, how would you do it? Right, like, I would think you want to find the really influential people in society. You want to find the popular people, maybe the well-educated people. In Hong Kong, what we would do is we would, we got an advertisement to make. You call up the mirror boy band because they advertise everything, right? Like, every, I, I see them everywhere I go. And you get the word out through them. And they are the ones who, who have influence in this city. We, we go to the professionals, the leaders, the high and the mighty, the strong and the smart. That's what we would think would work best. And yet we know if we've spent much time reading around in our Bibles, we know that that's not the way God works. This is the God who time and time again challenges our expectations about how things should go. We have all these expectations. This should be like this, right? God challenges those expectations. This is the God who takes the accepted view of the way the world works 
And God turns it upside down. God turns it on its head. In the Old Testament, this is the God who challenges the powerful kings by the words of humble prophets. This is God who is the king of kings, who chooses to be born into this world, not in a palace, but rather a dirty outdoor stable. This is Jesus who accomplished victory over sin and death, not by way of a battle won by a big angelic army. No, he accomplishes victory through his own death on a cross. This is Jesus who chooses 12 average, ordinary people to be disciples, not the powerful, not the mighty, not the influential. And then he works through these disciples to power a movement that changes the world. Just last week, if you were here, Elisa was reading with us in, uh, in the book of Luke. We read Mary's song of praise to the Lord. I don't know if you caught this. Part of it says this. He, the Lord, has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Then there's also a famous portion of scripture called the Beatitudes, or the blessings, we would say. And we read this. It says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the persecuted and those who suffer, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the overlooked in society, we might say for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the shepherds. And blessed are you if you feel overlooked. If you feel marginalized in the eyes of society. If society looks at you and just turns the other way, You don't have power, prestige, wealth, influence. You might be overlooked by everyone else, but you are not overlooked by God. And you never will be. Don't ever forget that. The shepherds had a central role to play in the greatest event in the history of humanity. So we go back to the story. We have these ordinary, nothing special, overlooked shepherds. They're about to have an overwhelming experience like nothing they've experienced before. Okay, I'd like you for a moment to try to imagine yourself in this place now. The sheep herders, they're watching their sheep at night. They're outdoors. It's a normal, ordinary night in the hills for these guys. The sheep, they've probably quieted down for the night. And although at least one shepherd has to stay awake to make sure that the sheep are protected, not everyone does. And so probably some of the shepherds are, you know, dozing off a little bit. They're relaxing around the sound of a crackling fire, a campfire. They might be huddling around it. If they look up into the night, they can likely see a sky full of stars just sparkling brilliantly 
in the cool and the clear air. It's cold out. It's quiet. It's dark. Can you imagine yourself in that moment? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of the cool and the, the dark and the quiet, all of a sudden, <clears throat> imagine what happens next. Suddenly it says, the angel of the Lord appears. Angel of the Lord appears and the glory of God shines brightly around them. The glory of God. Now this was a little weird. So in the, in the clip that we saw, it looked a little bit like someone was shining a flashlight on their heads. I don't know. I did, didn't do it for me. I'm thinking it needs to be a bigger, brighter, like it is the glory of God. And when the glory of God comes, it's not a torch or a flashlight. No. The glory of God settles in that place. And then it says, a great company of the heavenly host appear, praising God and shouting, glory to God in the highest. Oh my gosh. The bright light, the loud sound, the glory of God suddenly happening all around them. Just imagine how overwhelming, how disorienting that would be for the shepherds. Just the bright light itself would be a huge shock. Have you ever experienced that when you're outside? Did anybody go camping here? Some, someone? All right, thank you. You in the front row. Um, someone went camp. Like when you go outside, you're out at night. I went, I live, well, I used to live in America, up in the mountains in Southern California, and I was back in the summer, and I went with my son and another friend, and we went hiking. We took a night hike, and that night hike means you leave at night, and you hike all the way up to the peak, and it was a four or five hour hike. You get back early in the morning. Um, but the great thing about that is, is the stars are magnificent. And you go up to the peak and you just take it all in. You're soaking in the darkness, but the stars shining. It was a moonless night, no moon, just the starlight. It's quiet, it's dark. I love that kind of atmosphere. But you know what happens? Like we had headlamps. We had headlamps for the way down. You know what happens when somebody turns their headlamp on and then just starts looking around at people and all of a sudden you get a headlamp right in your face. The, the, the light of the headlamp, it blinds you. Have you ever had that even at night at home? You get blinded by the light because your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. These guys are sitting around. Their eyes are, have adjusted to darkness, right? And all of a sudden... The brightness of the glory of God shines around them. They probably can't see a thing. All they're doing is hearing all this commotion that's going on. Shocked by the bright light, the loud sound. And then we read, and it's no surprise that we read this, that the, the shepherds were terrified. They were scared. They were afraid. Of course they were. I don't know about you, I would have been terrified. I would have been so scared in that moment. What is happening? What is this that's just come upon us? The moment of terror when you're enveloped with all that 
is going on around you, the sights, the sounds, the feelings. And then in the midst of the ter- terrifying fear, the angel of the Lord speaks, and it's, it's kind of funny. The first words are, don't be afraid. And you want to listen, you know, to the angel because they're an angel. You know, listening to angels is probably good. But how can you not be afraid, right? There's a little bit of comedy, like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We are terrified at what has happened. But the angel goes on to tell them why they don't need to fear, why you don't need to be afraid, because the angel has come to announce news that's not bad, it's good, and it's very good, the best kind of news you could ever announce. The Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, has been born. The promised Messiah. Remember, the prophets in the Old Testament They had talked about this Messiah. They had talked about this one, capital O-N-E, the one who would come, the one who would bring righteousness and justice and peace to the earth, the one who would right everything that was wrong, the one that would mend the broken and heal the sick the one who would reign victorious over sin and death, this Messiah the prophets had spoken about. But also remember that the prophets had spoken about this Messiah like 400 years ago. 400 years ago, and then they stopped speaking about the Messiah. And so there had been this long, long period of silence. 400 years of silence, of waiting, of watching, of wondering if what God said was going to happen would actually happen. 400 years is a long time. They say that a generation is maybe uh, 20 to 30 years. And if we say, okay, a generation is going to be 30 years, that would be 13 different generations, 13 generations that have come and gone during those 400 years. And so the shepherds, back to them, they vaguely knew about the Messiah, like they would know the Messiah. They'd read about it. They had heard about the Messiah coming from their grandparents, who heard from their grandparents, who heard from their grandparents. It had been passed down. But nobody's expecting in this moment that the Messiah is going to come. No one. But in that moment, in that extraordinary moment that catches them by surprise, we have the light and the the sounds, the weight of the glory of God, and they hear these words spoken out of all of that. The Messiah, the one you've been waiting for all this time. The long-awaited Savior of the world. That Messiah has finally come. After 400 years of waiting. Then, as, as quickly as they came, we just read that they left. The angel left. The heavenly host left. The sights the sounds, the weight of the glory of God in that moment is, is gone. 
After all the commotion, maybe now it's just back to silence. I don't know. Was it silent? Like, you know, if the sheep were silent before, are they still? Did they all wake up? You know, there was a fire going. Did the glory of God, you know, blow out the fire? I don't know how that works. Did the shepherds, were they just, after the angel left, were the shepherds just standing there with mouths wide open, just staring at each other in disbelief over what they had just experienced? We don't, we don't know what all was happening right then. What we do know is that it says that they left In their excitement, they took off for the town of Bethlehem. They went where they were told to go. Presumably, they just left the sheep. I don't think they took the sheep with them because there are certain times when you take the sheep and there are certain times when you leave the sheep. And when the Messiah is waiting for you, the Messiah that's been spoken about 400 years ago that hasn't come, and you have this grand, extraordinary moment, what do you do? You leave the sheep. Don't take the sheep. Go see Jesus. They run into town. They probably ask around to find the stable. They rush inside, at which point they see the animals. They would see the mother and father, Mary and Joseph, and then they see the baby. They see Jesus, the Messiah. That is an overwhelming experience if there ever was one. You have overlooked shepherds having this amazing, incredible, overwhelming experience of seeing the Messiah. But before their night comes to an end, uh, I think it's striking to see what I would call the overflowing response the overflowing response that they have to what they had just witnessed. First of all, we read that after seeing Jesus, this is their first response. Their first response is that they just start telling others. They just start spreading the word about what had happened. And I've got to say, this totally makes sense. Because when we experience something that's profound, that is amazing, that is incredible, overwhelmingly wonderful, when we experience something like that, the natural response is for us to tell somebody. Think about your own life. When was the last time you had an experience that was so amazing and it was so good that you couldn't keep it to yourself? Oh my gosh, I got to tell somebody. No one will believe what just happened. This is totally random. I remember the day I was married. You know, go through the ceremony, get married, all this stuff. It's such a big thing, right? And then afterwards, we're driving where we were going, and I was really hungry, and we just stopped for some fast food at some place. This is in California. And I remember I'm ordering fast food, and I'm thinking... I need to tell the people who are giving me my food that I just got married today. Something fabulous has happened in my life, and they need to know. I didn't tell them. I did, you know, it was a total missed opportunity by me, but I had that urge to just tell 
anybody and everybody, just someone on the street. Hey, guess what? I got married today. Hi. Hey. Yeah. Just me. I got married. Just, I'm just excited about it. Can you think of a similar instance? I know when my kid, kids were born, same type of thing. Children born, I, I was just like, wow, something so incredible. I, I, I just want to tell people. It's part of the overflowing response of my joy. When we experience something profound and amazing and incredible, it is a natural response to want to include others in that experience. We want to share it with other people. That's exactly what the shepherds do. They just start telling people, oh, I can't believe what just happened. Hey, let us tell you. Let us tell you. Oh, we're going to tell you. Hey, guess what? They spread the word, it says, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Out of the overflow of their joy and excitement, the shepherds were compelled. It, they were compelled to let others know what had happened. They shared the news. That was the first thing. The second thing that they did, it says that they returned, presumably to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen. They praised God. Remember earlier at the beginning of the night, it says the heavenly host showed up. Angels, an angelic group of people show up and they start praising God and giving glory to God. And now at the end of the night, we see the shepherds joining in that act of worship. An overflowing response. Overflowing, just coming out of them, spilling out of them a response of praise and worship. Giving glory to the Lord. It's the most appropriate response when you have an encounter with the God of the universe. That kind of encounter deserves the response of worship, of praise. The often overlooked shepherds having an overwhelming experience of angels and the glory of God and a baby. And that leads to an overflowing response. Telling anyone and everyone and expressing deep heartfelt worship to the Lord. This is the story of the arrival of Jesus. This is Advent as we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I think about this and I ask questions. Now we're, we're so far removed, 2,000 years removed from this, and the question that comes to mind is what if? 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're acknowledging that. There's joy that comes with that. But the celebration has not just stayed at Advent, the celebration has become Christmas. It's become Christmas. And so we have all the traditions and everything else that has latched itself onto this celebration, so much so that we don't even, or a lot of people don't even connect it with Jesus anymore. And yet, I wonder, is it possible, as we once again read the story from the book of Luke, is it possible for us to recapture 
some of the joy, some of the excitement that the shepherds had on that night? Is it possible that we could experience some of the wonder, some of the awe? Awe is just where you open your mouth and you're like, I can't believe it. Can we experience some of that again? As I've thought about this for myself, I keep coming back to this prayer. And the prayer for me is that the Lord would make my senses come alive to what he is doing in a new way. My eyes coming alive to see new things. My ears coming alive to hear, to hear new things. Coming alive to the sights and the sounds of this Advent season. And I don't mean the sights and sounds of Christmas per se, right? There's all kinds of sights. The Christmas trees, everything, the sounds, all the Christmas music, all the everything is going on right now. The Christmas shopping, everything like that. I'm not wanting to come alive to that. But what if in this Advent season, our senses came alive in a new way to the sight and the sound and the weight of the glory of God around us? The glory of God around us. The light of the world who has come. What if, like the shepherds, we too were startled? We were shocked. We were silenced by the announcement of this profound event. Shocked startled, silenced by the thought of God, holy, righteous, powerful, strong, all-knowing, all-seeing, present everywhere all the time, God. This God in grace and mercy and love, choosing to become a human being, choosing to be born into this world so that creation, which had run away from its creator, might be brought back into loving relationship with the one who made it. What if we could be awed, shocked, startled at the thought of that again? What if we could be blown away, overwhelmed by the sight of Jesus, the sight of the Savior this Christmas? Overwhelmed in such a way that it led to an overflowing response. Just like the shepherds, their response was an overflowing of joy. That in our excitement, in our joy, we just told people. We were just like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what I've experienced. You won't believe what's happened. I don't mean telling people like this. I'm forced to tell people in order to be a good Christian because I need to share my faith. That's not what I'm saying. That's like under compulsion and I feel like a shameful bad person if I don't do it. I'm talking about compelled to do it because of the joy that is in your heart. And there's nothing you can do otherwise. You just want people to know. Just like when I got married. No one was telling me, you need to tell people, you need to tell people about your wedding if you want to be a good married person. <laughs> Heck no, man. I'm just telling everybody. 
It's the most natural thing to, what if, what if we could recapture some of that? Because that was our experience with the Messiah, with the Savior, and we want others to share in that as well. And what if, in the same way as the shepherds, out of the overflow of our joy, we just couldn't contain our praise? We couldn't contain our worship. We were compelled to go to the Lord with thanksgiving to go to the Lord with our voices and praise God, the Lord who has come to us. What if this season of the arrival, we were a little bit more like the shepherds? I would just like us to take uh, a bit of time in reflection, uh, to quiet ourselves before the Lord, to listen to what the Holy Spirit would want to say to us about this or anything else that God would want to say. Let's spend some time reflecting before the Lord. <laughs>